You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Happy Wednesday, and I hope it is a sunny Wednesday for you if you are listening from somewhere else. But as I am recording this intro, it is a sunny day in Toronto, and so I'm very happy, very happy. I get very affected by the weather. So when it's sunny, I am definitely overjoyed. This podcast, for those of you who are new, is on a mission to expand your perspectives, have you question the default option, and get you inspired to action for your own career. And so if you are not new, though, you know what this is all about. So thanks for tuning in again. So before we talk about the episode, I just want to talk about the fact that this podcast is brought to you by OMD Ventures. OMD Ventures. Sometimes I slur my words. <laughs> um, the Venture is my platform focused on everything human capital investing. And if you want to find out more about what that actually means, that's a great reason to check out my site, omdventures.com. That's where you'll find all my weekly content from the weekly vlog, the newsletter, articles, and all that good stuff. And I will put links in the description below for you to click into to learn more about the platform and even subscribe to the newsletter so that you don't miss out on anything. And so if you want to help the podcast, please help out by leaving a five-star rating on iTunes, leaving a review as well. And if you're on Android, don't feel left out. I think certain listening applications like castbox.fm if i'm not mistaken allows you to leave reviews and ratings as well so do that help help a brother out and also if you've got a friend help that friend out by telling them about this wonderful podcast that can change their life or at least in their career perspective (laughs) so today's guest is a super fun guest and his name is Steven Shedletsky. Steven is the head of brand experience and igniter at Simon Sinek. And if that is a name familiar with you, it may be because you may have watched Simon Sinek's really famous TED Talk. Or you might have read his also really famous book called Start With Why or Leaders Eat Last. Uh, Steven joined Simon Sinek's company. So it's a company actually called after Simon's own name as the fourth employee about seven and a half years ago and Stephen's journey to help people feel more fulfilled and engaged by the work they do started when on his first day on his first job at Suncorp's leadership program in Canada they fired I think it was approximately like a thousand people because of a merger like that happened on his first day and so since then this really like propelled him on a journey to really find out how he could do his life's work of helping people find, you know, fulfilled and engaged work in their own lives. And so we chat about the fruitful departure he had from Suncor that had a really funny exit story as well. Not it's, I think something I've never really heard of. And so you'll find that really fascinating for sure. And we also talk about his foray into the world of human capital consulting and why his tenure there was even shorter than at Suncor when he was supposedly supposed to do something that he thought he would love to do and how he ended up starting his own platform for change as a personal two-year MBA. And this was where I personally felt really aligned with what he was doing because I started my platform a year ago. And so 
you know, Stephen kind of hit his stride two years in. And so who knows, maybe I'll get my stride within this year. And then we also talk about the five paragraph email that got him a call with Simon Sinek. And I think this five paragraph email would be very valuable for anyone who really wants to reach out to any one of their heroes. And I used it and it's worked for me. And I actually talk about that in, I think, vlog number six on YouTube. So check that out if you want to hear that story. Um, and yeah, and Stephen also talks about how his journey with Simon started like a whole new chapter in his life and how that new chapter was just leaving this whole corporate world behind and actually getting to do what he wanted to do. And my, fir- my first meeting with Stephen was when he graciously, graciously invited me to attend a talk he was giving at an incubator. And though that was a treat, it was nothing compared to this super intensely fun discussion I got to have with him on the podcast. And it was a super fun conversation. And we also spoke about maybe even doing a part two in the near future because we just really love talking about just everything people related. And so if you really did like it and you want like a part two for your own personal self as well, just shoot me a note. Um, like just go out to like the reach out contact page on my site, omdventures.com. And yeah, shoot me a note on that. And so I will give Steven one more reason to come in for a part two. And so I hope my chat with Steven expands your perspective, has you question the default and really inspires action. So without further ado, here's my interview. Hey everyone, welcome back to Account It For. Today on the podcast, we have Steven Chudletsky. Hey Steven, thanks hey. for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Steven here is the head of brand experience and and he's also an igniter at Simon Sinek Company. And he's also the co-host of the Start With Why podcast that has over 600,000 downloads and is listened to over 180 countries. Something that maybe we will get to in, I don't know, the next five to 10 years. With your help. <laughs> With your help, listeners. <laughs> um, so, Stephen, for individuals who may have not heard about Simon Sinek or have not watched his TED Talk that was listened or viewed by more than 10 million people, can you talk about the company, the Simon Sinek company? What do you guys do? Sure, yeah. So we, we view what we do more as a movement than a company. We happen to be for-profit because we want to give... Uh, every for-profit company, every opportunity to do what we believe, which is to be for purpose first and foremost. And the purpose movement, you, you hear a lot of companies talk about purpose these days, and I think a lot of them get it wrong because they talk about purpose when it's convenient. Um, but to truly live your purpose, you will do it when it's hard and inconvenient. So our company exists for a very uh, simple and bold reason, which is we imagine a world different than the one we live in today. We imagine a world in which the vast majority of people wake up feeling inspired. When they show up to work, they feel safe. And when they return home, they feel fulfilled by the work that they do. And that's not currently the world we live in today. And uh, if we do live in that world, we'll live in a far better world. So that's what we're committed to. And we do everything from uh, books. Simon's coming out with his next book uh, in the fall called The Infinite Game. Um, he had start with why and leaders eat last, uh, before find your why as well together is better. Uh, so this is his fifth book and third thinky thinky book coming out. Um, and we do talks. Um, we, it, we, we do everything around preaching, teaching, and engaging to ensure that, um, people and leaders can help advance this cause. Yeah. Uh, it's just overall, what's that? What's this? What's this? 
saying it's like songs to my ear or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's yeah. um like i've been music, a big, music too. music to my ear yeah it's just like i've been a big fan of simon sinek's work and you know uh, the listeners as well as just i guess general fans of my entire platform know how much i care about human capital or hu- human just people in general people at work yeah and but someone with it's it's like you said it's a movement it's very unusual i find to have a company to be to have the name of the founder mm-hmm. instead of some fruit yeah nike or <laughs> yeah. whatever yeah or just like a single word mm-hmm. and for someone to have the title of head of brand experience mm-hmm. and also igniter so when you meet someone for the first time and they ask you in the toronto fashion what do you do mm-hmm. how do you answer that question i say i help to create more fulfilling places to work um or i say i help uh, leaders communicate their ideas and feelings in a compelling way. Um, so we we just recently rebranded. So we were called Start With Why uh, for 10 years. And we just recently branded to Simon Sinek. Um, and the reason is because Simon has become a household name. And now the name Simon Sinek represents something. Uh, and Start With Why is the first book, but it's more than just starting with why. It's about creating... Um, cultural cultures where people feel safe um, it's about um, approaching our careers and lives with uh, and our businesses and organizations with an infinite mindset so we we branded to Simon the person because um, he's been he's been banging this drum for 13 years uh, and his name actually means something so that's the reason we've we've uh, branded to Simon Sinek um, but it's it's something he didn't want but realizes that it has value. Um, and yeah, and my, my job as head of brand experience is to ensure both inside the company and out, we live what we preach mm-hmm. um, in our internal culture, as well as everything we put to the outside world from social media marketing, as well as products. And I, th- I think the role that you have right now and the kind of work that you guys do at Simon Sinek, it's not something, it, I've, at least I've never met anyone who says out of university this is what i'm going to do and this is exactly the path i'm going to take to Mm -hmm. do this because it's just so not i shy from the word unusual but it is different it's Mm -hmm. very unorthodox and your path started when you went to school at richard ivy in the university of western ontario and you started off in suncor in the leadership program Mm -hmm. then you had a stint at ey doing their people and work change consulting yep and then you eventually joined uh, with Simon Sinek. And I guess to someone looking from the outside, they could look at it and go, okay, he was in leadership at a big company. Makes sense. Okay. And then went to do some, uh, I guess, human capital consulting work. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then he helped Simon Sinek. Oh, it looks so linear. Of course. Yeah. yeah. It's like he planned it all out. <laughs> but it was not like that. When we first met, when you invited me uh, nicely to listen on your uh, speaking engagement, you told me about how when you were at Suncor, you experienced a time when they let, laid off a thousand people yeah, during, on my, on during my first day. day. On my first day, it was job. your first day. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. And so then, what what was that kind of process like uh, for you? Like what what were, what were the kind of like red flags that you saw? Like what was the process of actually deciding mm-hmm. to make the first pivot out? Of the leadership program, because I know that typically they tend to be for about two years or so, and yeah. people tend to stay long term for those. Yeah, well, I was fired. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, 
uh, for good reason. Um, I'll tell that in a, in a couple minutes. Yeah, I think it's funny. Um, you know, I'm 10 plus years in on my career. And I appreciate you sort of re- reflecting back to me in my career journey. I was like, oh, yeah, that is somewhat linear. And it does make sense. I guess hindsight's twenty twenty. Looking back, it makes sense. But, I mean, this is the value of a journey is you... Um, is you learn more about yourself, you learn more about the world, and you try to align the, the, the two. You know, I'm also a big believer that every relationship you have uh, should be better than the one previous until you find one that's like, all right, this is as good as it's going to get, or I'm willing to invest in this one and, and, and go long term with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I when I look back on it, I'm really fortunate around uh the experience I had at, at Ivy because there were a few professors that I just loved and um, loved both how they taught, what they taught, and the way they taught and why they, they taught. It was about um, fulfillment. It was about feeling engaged and feeling fulfilled. And I'm so fortunate I had those experiences because when I went into um, the corporate world and had my first gig with, with Suncor Petro, um, I didn't feel that way. And it was the first time in my life where I was not motivated. So I joined an, an organization. They were post-merger. Um, like I said, a thousand people were let go on my first day, so it was a bit awkward starting. Um, and it was a, it was a tumultuous time. Um, and it made sense that the employee value proposition I was hired into wasn't the one that they could deliver on because the company had changed. Um, the issue I had was the lack of transparency around what's different. And I saw the impact of leaders not knowing their future and instead of being open about it, being closed about it, the anxiety it created, right? Uh, uh, Trust is built upon communication. Um, And when we're not communicating, we make up our own narrative. And oftentimes that narrative can be harmful or destructive, right, or negative. So this is the role of leadership is not to come up or know all the answers, but to reassure and to communicate. So, um, yeah, uh, I didn't love my time there. It's not that the place is evil. It just wasn't for me. And, um, uh, yeah, it took me about five months to realize I don't, I don't think I love it here. Um, and I don't think it was just the old sort of millennial spend two weeks at a place and hate it. Like, I think there, it just wasn't the right fit for me. Um, and a mentor of mine, a guy named James Powell, who's local to Toronto, sent me Simon's TED Talk uh, on the Golden Circle. And because uh, I said to him, I'm moving into a marketing role. That was going to be my next role, my first rotation in the rotational management program. And I said, I'm afraid to move into marketing for a company that I don't believe what they sell and how they sell it. And he's like, watch this video. So I procrastinated for two months, then finally watched Simon's, you know, start with why Golden Circle video uh, from TED. And uh, it made complete sense. I mean, he, everything he said I knew to be true. He just presented it in a way that was simple, easy to understand, so that you can use it. Um, and I started sharing it anywhere, anywhere, on a napkin, anyone who'd listen. And uh, I was fired from that first job because I was mentoring a number of interns, a disproportionate number of which turned down full-time job offers, citing conversations with me. Yes. <laughs> That's rebel, rebel with a cause, right? Um, and it was the weirdest experience because I was a year into my career and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And the reason I knew exactly what I wanted to do is because I had an experience that was the very opposite. I felt 
unmotivated, which at first I made myself wrong for it. It was the first time in my life I was unmotivated for a prolonged period of time. And it, I made myself wrong. Like, what's wrong with me that I can't be successful here? Well, maybe the environment's not right for me. Um, I felt uninspired, unfulfilled, disengaged, nine toes out the door. Um, and so I knew I wanted to feel the very opposite. And I know as well that I don't treat work and life as separate. It's one thing. We have our life's work, and hopefully we can do it in our jobs, and hopefully we can do it with our kids and with our friends and, and with, with our families. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, I just got lucky, to tell you the truth. Uh, I discovered Simon's work because it was introduced to me. I started sharing it with people. I went to a conference to hear Malcolm Gladwell speak. This would have been in uh, November of 2010, and Simon spoke just before Malcolm. Uh, I didn't even know, and uh, I had already started sharing his stuff. So uh, a nice confluence of events. And um, I did a short stint at Ernst & Young in change management consulting, as you said, people in org change. And it was a step closer, and I'm glad I did it, and I learned a lot. But it was still focused on uh, effectiveness and efficiencies and not engagement fulfillment. Uh, and so I decided after eight months at EY, I said, I got to go do my, my own thing, um, which I sort of call my MBA in action. Um, didn't take an MBA, but just, uh, decided to, I, I, the, the thing that happened, Daniel, is I knew exactly what I wanted to contribute to for the rest of my life, regardless of how I would do it or the form it took. Like, I don't care if I'm a speaker or an author, or a podcast. I don't care what my title is, so long as I'm helping to pursue a more inspired, safe, and fulfilled world. Um, whether that's with Simon or without. Um, and fortunately, it's with, because uh, I believe in, in his work quite a bit and the platform that it, it affords. So, yeah, I guess that's a bit of a longer answer, but uh, those are those are some, some thoughts. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I got lucky in the sense that uh, at the right time, right place, I built a relationship with Simon and his team, and they invited me to come on initially to do the Start With Why podcast, and that role grew. Um, I spent two years responding to fan email, which is a great way to learn about our brand, and that morphed into social media, product development, and uh, doing client work as well, uh, speaking and, and facilitating with some of our clients. All right. Yeah, that's a that's a great overview, and we'll now proceed to I guess dive deeper into sure. these areas. But it's, I think it's still some for me. It's somewhat I guess mind boggling to think about how after you know after kind of your first year in this kind of full time role at Suncor that you had this conviction of you know I know what I want to do mm-hmm. and. I, I just say that just because of data point of one, my experience has been I had to kind of go through a, a long journey of just trying a lot of different things. And it just finally was a point when I hit upon this dream role that I thought I would retire in and die doing that I hit that moment of, oh, I'm not motivated. Oh, this is really weird. I was. It's not even like a job that I didn't even, it's not like an accounting job that I told myself I'm just doing it for the money and I'm going to re- make partner and retire. Like this was when I thought, yeah, it's like, I'm, I get to be like Warren Buffett. I'm going to retire doing this, mm. but I'm unmotivated. This is so fucking weird. How do, what was the kind of process like for you to kind of grapple with different kinds of the 
extrinsic motivators but the inter- the intrinsic motivator because i feel like at at that kind of age you're in this big corporate brand and you have call co- you have friends who you know you're from ivy mm-hmm. the stereotype fits where many will be in finance consulting etc sure where me being from that world it's like yeah it's all about brand there's a big external motivator that drives a lot of people especially in the early years mm-hmm. how did you kind of wrestle with that I, I'm curious to know for you um, as well what was wrong about the dream job, the Warren Buffett job that turn, didn't turn out to be the Warren Buffett job, or maybe it was, but I'm curious to know for you. Um, I mean, for me, I felt that I was climbing a ladder I didn't want to climb. And it became very clear to me that I cared a lot about leadership and redefining leadership. I think too many people in roles of leadership see that their people work for them and that's wrong. That's not leadership. Leadership is that you work for your people and that it's that these people are willingly choosing to show up and support you and it's your job to give them a reason to show up and it's your job to care for them such that they can show up at their best, whether that's with you or not. Um, and so that's what I want to devote the rest of my life to. Um, uh at least that's what I know for now until something changes. But um, I, it's, it, it's all born out of personal experience, right? Because I felt the opposite of that. I felt I knew what it felt like to wake up in the morning and not want to get out of bed because he didn't want to go to work. I knew what it felt like um, to see people's health suffer because of shitty leadership. Um. I knew what it looked like to look at oncoming traffic in the morning and contemplate that as a choice because my reality sucked that much. Like I was depressed and nobody deserves that. There's clinical, you know, uh, circumstances where people are, have depression and there's nothing, you know, you can substitute with drugs, but I'm clinically stable as far as I know. And I nor no one deserves to feel that awful because of their work. And so I want to help contribute toward a world in which my own kids, when they go to work in 15 or 20 or 25 years or whatever it might be, because I have young kids, um, that they will show up to a place that exists for something more than simply turning a profit for owners that they will feel that they're contributing to something worthwhile and that they're able to use their strengths and gifts to do so and they feel safe and that they belong and that where they show up to work is an extension of their family that they feel cared for. We all deserve that. It's a human right. Uh, and so I'm going to die trying trying to create that world because we live in a world with too many finite pressures that focuses on making more for few. And it's just not how we operate at our best. It's the very um, opposite of our biological nature of taking care of our tribes. So that was it for me. This just personal visceral reaction to something that was wrong. Hmm. And I wanted to make it better for, of course, myself, but for others. Because uh, we're social animals and we thrive not just from our own gains, but from the gains of those around us as well. I'm curious to know for you what, I don't mean to turn the turn the mic around on the host, but you got this job and you're like, this is going to be it. And what, what was missing? Um, and no, it, it's fine that you 
uh, turn the mic on the host. I I love talking. So <laughs> it's a conversation. Yeah, it's a conversation. It's a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think so. I I first publicly voiced it uh, on in a conversation with my girlfriend. I would say around six months into mm-hmm. the role, mm-hmm. but something I learned through my career journey was not to be complacent. And that's some, that's because I was complacent in my first job when I was in audit. Um, and so something I started doing specifically when I was in this investing role was keeping track of any major activity I, would, I did. So I'd quantify how energized are you, how engaged are you to kind of measure how often am I hitting flow state. Because mm. that, was, that was something I started mentally doing when I was in consulting prior to, but this was when I created a whole sh- spreadsheet and I started keeping tracking diligently and writing down the rationale behind things i i started with like a base range of low medium high and then it slowly became quantitative one to ten and then trying to do the ranges Mm. and it just kind of blurted out when i was having a conversation with my girlfriend like i think it was november of 2017 and then i started looking through my daily journals that i did as well as all these activity trackers and feedback trackers and it's so weird because in my like july journal i wrote i will probably leave here in under two years and when they hired me they told me only one person's left the firm in 15 years Mm -hmm. and as soon as i got the job i told my parents i'll make it two people in a matter of years Mm -hmm. and it i think that it was a very disheartening feeling where because of the the long and arduous journey I had taken to get here to feel that I had no longer felt motivated and I started looking into okay why why am I not feeling motivated why why am I not hitting flow state in these investing activities and I think what really helped was that I was very upfront about it too like I the portfolio managers I worked about tell them hey I don't think I'm fitting with the culture Mm. do you think I'm fitting in with the culture I don't feel like I am Mm. and like asking do you think I'm into this work because I don't know if I am. What what kind of feedback did you get when you when you said that? In the beginning, they were uh, more, I think, supportive, and they were like, "Oh no, no, no! I think you are. I like working with you." Yeah. But I think at the by the end of it, by the end of the year, it was like, "Yeah, no, I don't think you are. Hmm. I don't sense the same passion when I read read your reports, like when I read other people's reports. There's something missing." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I think you're right. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it, I think you're right. It's not there." And it was very obvious that when I looked at the things that hit me, hit my flow state, it was, I wasn't spending enough time doing them. And it was always when I was talking to CEOs or when I'm having just really cool, like in-depth conversations. And it first, it was very, there's like a period of turmoil when it made me think, do I not want to be an investor? I spent four years trying to build into this career. Like Mm. what's wrong with me? And then it kind of hit me as no, it's not that it's just that this role isn't fit for me Mm. and it was that kind of weird realization of do i want to be content did i go through this long arduous journey just to be content Mm -hmm. at the end of it Mm -hmm. like i saw my cio the head portfolio manager like none of these people needed to even retire like they didn't have to work they could retire they're all millionaires i knew what my future would be and i would ask them like why are you still here Mm. why do you do what you do and i interviewed every single portfolio manager before i left cool and some of them were like Oh, Dan, you don't understand. Like, I love doing this. Like, mm. I don't... Sometimes I'll be on vacation and I want to come back faster. Like, I'll pull all-nighters. Like, the head CIO does. I like, pull 
pulls all nighters just to read about companies because he loves it. Mm. And it made me think, yeah, like I don't have that. I thought I would, mm. but I don't. And there are a multitude of factors. There's this cultural factor, the fact that investing, what investing was for me, was different from what investing became when you joined an institutional fund. And that's what I tell people about whenever they tell me, I want to be an investor, Dan. I want to join a hedge fund. I tell them, you really got to think about what kind of investing game you want to play because it's extremely different when you join a fund yeah. compared to when you're investing with your own money. Mm. And all those multitude of factors just realized into the fact that, okay, well, I know I'm content. The facts have changed. If I follow the economist John Maynard Keynes, when the facts change, you got to change your mind. So, all right, let's change your mind. Mm. And that's kind of like the short story yeah. of it. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> I When I think of investing, I think the way it's done today is more akin to gambling than investing. I think the word to invest means I believe in you, I'm willing to support you. And I think, you know, I'm a bigger believer on an investment horizon of infinity. <laughs> like, isn't Warren Buffett, his time horizon is forever? Like, he, when he invests, he invests. Um, and, like, even Doug Parker, who's the CEO of American Airlines, has and they're a publicly traded company, has very much said... We have, we have two populations of investors. We have the Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, who believes in us and will stay with us through thick and thin. And then we have everyone else who just does it for themselves. We only care about the first kind. And we only cater and make decisions toward the first kind. That's inspiring to me. Yeah, and it's, it's really rare because, well, there's so, there's so many reasons, but I think the general way of putting it is this incentives drive behavior. Yep. And it the entire industry is incentivized to a certain way where you want short-term outcomes, even if you want to stay long-term. Like the fund I was at, I think, is still probably the best fund I could have worked at in mm-hmm. Canada because they, you know, we would tell brag about how, on average, we hold stocks for 8 to 10 years, some for even 30 years because the fund's like 50-plus years old. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's like it was very apparent that it's still an institutional way of running money, and we are still trying so hard to follow that scale and yeah it's rare to have people like buffett and one one that allows him to do that that he created is to have permanent capital like mm-hmm. he has this geico float that lets him do that and now we're seeing some investors that are actually focusing on that mentality but yeah like as buffett said it's the best holding horizons like forever mm-hmm. and it's funny like when i was an investor i would do stock screens purely based on the age of the ceo hmm. i would find ceos who are 65 years older ones who would not want to retire. They could, but they don't. Nice. And then you'd find certain companies. Like, it's funny. Like, you'd actually find certain companies that the guy started it. He's been running for 50 years, and it's still doing really well. Yeah. And so it's those kinds of weird screens that I found where you're trying to, like, That's cool. find an incentive alignment with these kind of CEOs. That's really cool. Yeah. And I guess, I guess you know, kind of focusing back on you, though, like, you, you talked about how you started this kind of MBA yourself. Mm-hmm. And... Is that, uh, I, f- I found your site Inspire Action. Mm-hmm. Is that what your MBA was? Like, is that something you created as soon as you left Suncor? Yeah, so um, I left, or I was asked to leave Suncor, right. and I agreed to leave. I don't think I was given a choice, though. Um, and again, I was clear on what I wanted to do. I was clear on the why and the how. I just didn't know what yet, you know? I And, and it's very much, it's the way our organization at Simon Sinek operates, we're clear in our why, we're clear in our hows, um, and we're always figuring out business models and ways to bring it to life. Um, so then I did a, 
a quick stint at Ernst and Young, and then I went out and 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 said, "All right, I just got to start this." Gotcha. Um, and the reason, again, it was, I was like, "What? When did I start? I started in 2011, so I was 24. Like, what 24 year old knows much about leadership? Like, I know about leadership theory. I knew how it could work at its best. I had a little bit of leadership experience, and like as a student leader, and I had been exposed to a lot of shitty leaders. Like, that was the extent of my leadership experience. But I went down the path knowing that I wanted to do this. Like, and and I figured the younger I start, and the more I do it, the better I'll get. Um, so yeah, I you know when I was in it, I guess there were times where I'm like, okay, this is just my MBA in the sense that I'm not going to a formal MBA program, but I'm giving myself this time horizon of learning, of meeting people, of... I mean, because what is, what is an MBA? You learn some stuff, but it's really around recruiting. It's like getting the next thing. Um, particularly if you've... A lot of MBAers have done undergrad in, 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 uh, in administration. So it's a lot of the same stuff. <laughs> um, just an M in front of it. Uh, unless you come from something totally different, and that's interesting. But um, but yeah, I there were some really pivotal moments where I was hating my job, and I convinced myself that if I moved out of my parents' house and got my own place, then I'd be okay. And I'm so happy I didn't do that, because then I would have put, put velvet handcuffs on and have to stay in a particular role or move back home to my parents' basement. But I, I willingly, I, I, I quit EY, and um, I said, I'm going to do this. And I was pretty naive. Uh, about six months in was like, shit, I'm not making money. I thought it would just like take off between speaking and coaching and facilitating and writing articles and this and that and a book. And I'm like, it's not going so well. Um, and I, I had a, a, a moment of vulnerability with my dad. I'm very close with my dad, but he's not the most emotional guy I said to my dad, what if this doesn't work? And he said to me, give it two years. Anything you've tried hard at, you've succeeded in, give it two years. And like that vote of confidence from someone who both my parents urged me to stay in the stable economy, <laughs> stay in the stable jobs. I'm sure your parents maybe shared a few things as, as well. They wanted what's best for me. Um, they, didn't they, they didn't understand what I was doing. They knew that that I wanted to be happier, but they didn't get it. And my parents don't come from business background. Um, but the fact that my dad said, like, with, like so unequivocally, there was no doubt in his head that I was going to succeed at this. He said, give it two years, and if not, we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, and I, I used to do fun stuff because I wasn't earning, but I was still having worthwhile experiences. I was meeting great people. I was involved um, you know, this amazing network of people that inspired me, I just wasn't seeing the results yet. But I would make myself a pay slip. Every week or two weeks, I would print out like a check and I would write down uh, the things that I earned, not necessarily monetarily, but amazing meeting with, learned this from. And I would give myself a pay stub of like, this is what I this is the value that I created and earned over the past two weeks, which helped me and helped help keep the long-term view for me. Um, and yeah, uh, 
I, uh, I just, I just got lucky and joined in with Simon and I've been able to do a career doing what I love and doing what I believe in. Um, and I'll do this forever. It's, it's honestly so, so nice to hear that part of your story just because, uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm the earlier stages of going through something like that myself. Mm -hmm. And although I started at 26, it's, it's still the same thing, same feedback of you're 26. What are you going to coach me in? What, what do you know about leadership? You're 26. Mm -hmm. Where you're, where are your great hairs? What, and what are your, what are your credentials? Yeah. I yeah. have none. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even have facial facial hair to even <laughs> fake my way. <laughs> um, we can we can do a medical intervention on that if you want. <laughs> and it's so it's so cool how you you know you noted about how you know your parents became like you know they first wanted you to have be in the stable economy, mm -hmm. and that was that was the exact same reaction I got when which I, which by the way doesn't exist exactly it doesn't exist like yeah. um, I actually just recently wrote a. Uh, article piece on how people are getting the definition of risk wrong actually the the freelancers and entrepreneurs are actually the ones that are risk averse and employees who have no, nothing else but only the job are mm. the biggest risk takers yep but um hmm. that's interesting yeah i'll i'll explain that more in detail after our interview yeah um but but that makes sense it's yeah. it's it's the it's it's like if you're a supplier to, to walmart that's high risk because oftentimes they're so high volume and so demanding that you can only supply to them. It's the same way that if you're an employee, you know, you're listen, and I'm all for organizations providing more meaningful employment, but we're just not there yet at scale. Yeah. And I think it's just a matter of it's, it's, it's all, it's also like, it's a spectrum, right? There is the far end of biggest risk taker where you're in the quote unquote bullshit job that I think David Gray, Graeber mm -hmm. quotes in his book mm -hmm. about how it's, you know it's bullshit, the company knows it's bullshit, but you're there. Mm. And then it slowly kind of trickles more to the less risk where the more ownership, the more control you have in what you do, more brand control you have, and then eventually you kind of go to the further scale, which is like a bootstrapped entrepreneur who has mm. no VCs to report to, but has yep. like thousands of customers, yep. where you're actually diversified, like a stock portfolio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I think... For my parents, like, after I made the first departure from accounting, they were like, what the hell are you doing? And then I got into consulting. They're like, okay, kind of makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. I quit that to go into investing. And my parents went, like, they experienced the time when South Korea went bankrupt as a country and the Asian financial crisis. So my dad also, be, having been in investor relations, was like, this is fucked. You, you don't want to go into hedge funds. Like, this is bad. Mm -hmm. And then eventually after I left, I think over time, they became very supportive and my dad being an entrepreneur really helped with him being like, okay, yeah, this is an MBA. It's going to take five years until you actually see anything. So consider that. I was nice. like, all right, cool. That's a good window. Yeah. I was like, thanks dad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but for you, like you, was it the second time af that after you left EY that they kind of really understood like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe Steven is really meant for this path. Like what, I feel like there's that gap though, where like you've left Suncor, yeah. like or they asked you to leave, and you both kind of amicably left, yeah. and you get into another bigger corporation. You're like, okay, yeah, you yeah. Know, Steve, Steven's kind of in this consulting role. It's still a prestigious job, you know. And mm -hmm. I've I've done human capital consulting, so I have my view of it. Mm -hmm. And if you can share like what your expectation versus reality was on that, that'd also be cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. Um, but yeah, like I'd also like to understand like yeah, what was that transition like finally saying, yeah, you know what. It's been under a year, but I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
I mean, when I got hired by, I was hired by Petro Canada, merger happened, and so is Suncor Petro. And my my first cousin has had an amazing career in accounting at Petro Canada and Suncor. Um, she just recently moved up to Calgary. Like amazing career, tons of growth, tons of challenge. So, you know, I was going to join with my cousin, and they're like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" And we'd have lunch together, and um, and then you know. I would do what I did, what what you did with the portfolio managers. I'm like, is this place for me? Am I, you know, um, and I hated it. And my parents saw it because I brought it home, right? And I see this with with my my daughter as well. When she goes to daycare, she's like on her best behavior. She comes home and she acts out because she doesn't have to be on good behavior. And that's what would happen to me too. And I'd keep it together at work because it's inappropriate to be miserable. And then I was miserable in my life. Um, so when I left Suncor, I didn't have a choice. Um, and it was kind of like uh, when I was brought in for the meeting because they were letting me go, it was kinda, I wasn't surprised. I was kind of like, oh, yeah, finally you guys caught up to the fact that I've been hating it here for the last six months. Um, and when there was a, I left Suncor in September, I joined EY in January. So there was this, number of month period where I started doing coaching, speaking, like momentum was like building. Um, but I was working with a recruiter and there was some, some, um, pressure to get the next job. He also drilled into me that I needed to get a PhD in leadership to do this work. No, you don't, you don't need a PhD. Anytime you need an expert's opinion, just ask one. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was the first time I realized opportunity cost, right? Like we re- read about opportunity costs in textbooks. Sometimes you can experience it, but opportunity cost is when you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to many more. Um, and I was interviewing with EY. It made sense. It was the next thing on the resume that would make sense. But I was also beginning, just beginning to see some momentum in my own personal um, leadership development practice. Um, a job offer from EY came. Um, it was actually just as I made contact with Simon as well. And I said yes to the EY gig, figuring it's worth a shot. Maybe it'll work. If not, I'll grow. It's a good brand to have on the resume, and we'll go from there, whether I go do a master's or get the next job or whatever. And it took me about four months to realize I hated my first job. It took me four days to realize I hated my second. It's like the half-life... <laughs> <laughs> increases and uh um there were some great people at ey we have a partnership with ey now at our at simon Sinek. um and i work a lot with ey now which is funny but it was the to your point it was the nature of the work the lens with which the work was designed was to benefit uh owners it was, it was look at my org design and figure out how I can make more money by squeezing people. Who do I need to fire? Uh, what's the least I can get away with paying these people? It, was, it, it wasn't uh, positioned from the sense of how can I create an environment in which my people feel inspired, safe, and fulfilled, which is my cause, the cause that I contribute toward and believe in. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't love it. Uh, it didn't take me long to realize that I didn't love the the work. 
And what I started to do, and I think you'll appreciate this, is I had many friends at EY and other firms who were on the audit track and were going down the CPA track. And um, I saw that they were miserable. The vast majority of them hated their professional existence. And let's make no mistake, it bleeds into everything else. Um, And so I became a big fan of Simon's work. And I said, there's an opportunity here. Why don't we actually engage these people there's a pyramid here. There's there there's not the same number of partner jobs as there are auditors in this company. Like we know how this works. Not everyone's going to make it to the next level and not everyone's going to make it to the one after that and so on. So it's built into the very system that people will leave. But why not create such an amazing experience that by the time they leave they still want to come back or they refer business or they want to do business with you. And so I came up with this amazing pitch deck that I shared with any leader who would take a meeting with me internally at EY around creating a millennial development and engagement program. And the first slide was Simon Sinek's Start With Why. Um, And the feedback I got was, that's great, maybe in two or three years. And I went, peace, sayonara, I'm out of here. Can't wait that long. Um, And so that's when I just decided to step out and just pursue this work anyway, trusting that if... uh, if opportunity met, met the passion, um, then it'd be great. Uh, like I couldn't do this if this were 1970 or 80 because there were no, there's no appetite for it. But there is now, um, which is kind of funny because all the stuff we do is basic kindergarten stuff, give people a reason to show up and create an environment in which they cooperate. Um, but yeah, so what's funny enough now is for the past four years, we've had a partnership with EY, um, with EY Americas, and I get to do it with them now. Um, it took what we started four years ago, so 2015, 16, uh, and I left there in 2011. So it took them a little bit more longer than two or three years, but oddly enough, it's a, I've had a nice reunion and I get to do it with them. Um, and EY is 275,000 people, uh, uh, who, who work there around the world, let alone the clients they touch and the communities in which they operate and the families that they can influence. So have a neat opportunity to help them, um, live their purpose from the inside out you know they, they describe their purposes to build a better working world uh which you got to do for people first so we get to do that with them uh, and it's been pretty neat too yeah and they're lucky that you they have you guys and so then you have that period where now you've left you while you're trying to build this your own brand and you joined simon sinek mm-hmm. in 2012 but you met simon before you signed on with ey so how did you kind of build that relationship and con you know gain like earn the trust from Simon to say all right you may you may join me and answer my fan emails <laughs> uh it was less to do with Simon and more to do with his team mm. um yeah so I met Simon at that talk where Malcolm Gladwell spoke before him bumped into him in the hall uh he was still on LinkedIn he was still active on his social pages now I lead the team who manages those those uh, social pages um also you guys are the ones that didn't reply back to my messages oh where did you write <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> i figured i wouldn't get through <laughs> yeah no, we we try to respond to as many people as we can um so yeah i mean um simon's cause is is mine and that became very clear and um so this is a funny story so i met simon in person in november um i sent him a linkedin message saying um, I loved your talk, uh, the TED talk. I saw your talk live. Going to read the book. 
And Simon wrote back a couple weeks later saying, I hope you enjoy uh, the book more than the talk. And I'm like, that's not going to be possible, but thanks. Cool. Amazing. So I read the book that Christmas and like became obsessed. I like spent um, hours upon hours on my vacation Googling Simon Sinek and listening to any podcast, read any article. Like I just became obsessed with consuming as much from this guy because I believed in what he was preaching. Um, and I wanted to contribute toward that world that he imagined. Um, and so I built up the the courage. I wrote an email directly to him. I called it a, a five-paragraph email, an, an email with intent. I said, this is how I know you or you know me. This is the reason you inspire me. And if you get that right, people will keep reading. Um, if they claim that they're about something, you write what they're about, and then they don't respond or don't keep reading or don't help you in some kind of way, They either they're too busy or they're a phony, and that's okay. Um, then you go, because of that inspiration, here's what I'm inspired to do and create. So now I want to further propel what you're about. Here's the help I need or some questions I have for you that I think you can help me with. Can I buy you a coffee? Uh, and I got a response from that email like almost immediately. And it was this autoresponder saying, I no longer respond to professional email. And it referred me to one of three people. And I picked two of them that I thought made sense. Um, it was Kim, David, and Danielle. Um, Kim and David are still with the, the organization. And, and they've both become amazing friends. Danielle wants to become a nurse, um, so she's no longer with, with the company. Um, and uh, I wrote to Danielle and David because they made the most two cents based on the, the, their titles. Um, just reiterating, I met Simon. I'd love, you know, please read below it. I'd love to take him out for a coffee. And Danielle wrote back saying, um, you know, we receive notes like just like yours. And I'm like, oh, that deserve more than just a response. Yay. And she set up a phone call. David, who's since become a best friend, also responded and said, you know, no to a phone call or a meeting, um, which I hang over his head every day now. Um, but I, I had this phone call set up with, with Simon. It got postponed a couple times. But destiny, fate, whatever, the call was scheduled for a day right before I was going to New York on a vacation just to visit. I was going to go with my girlfriend at the time. We broke up. I took my brother. And I had this great 45-minute conversation with Simon. That's where I, I said to him, I got advice to, that I need to go get a PhD in leadership if I want to do this work. And he said, no, I don't have a PhD. He said, if you need an expert's opinion, you ask for one. And I had this great conversation with him. I asked him, why did you take my phone call? And he said, because I got the sense that you're a giver. And when you give to givers, you you have a compound effect. It, it ripples. Um, and I said, I'm actually coming to New York this weekend. Can I buy you a coffee? Uh, and he said, uh, well, my family takes part in the MS walk. You can come join my family for the MS walk. And like we do, I thought of every reason why I couldn't do it. Uh, how do I register? Don't I need to raise money? I'm on vacation. Well, my, it's fine with my brother. And I said, thanks, no thanks. Fortunately, that was in minute 21 of the conversation. And at minute 44, I said, hey, remember that offer about 23 minutes ago? Can I say yes now? And he said, sure, just organize it with Danielle. And apparently, I didn't know it at the time, but I was the, the first fan who was invited to socialize with him and even meet his family. Um, and I met his sister, his parents. His sister's now involved in the business as well. Uh, it was kind of funny. Um, but I annoyed Simon quite a bit. 
And I probably still do because we're very similar people and we have very similar strengths. Um, and so I became sort of this annoying fanboy and I had to build trust. Your question on trust. Um, I had to ensure that I wanted to become part of the company, not for my own benefit, but from advancing the movement and not so that I could be on stage, but so that the work I did helped propel others. Um, and so I answered fan email for two years because I needed to know that they could trust me because to have the endorsement of a brand is a big deal. Um, and so it was hard because I was doing things that were outside of my strength set. Like I wasn't in flow and I was working for the fulfillment company and I wasn't fulfilled. I'm like, what, what gives? Isn't it your responsibility to put me in a role where I love what I do? And it's like, no, it's not. It's called a relationship and it's two way. Um, and, uh, I learned, and I don't like this notion of pay or dues, but I kind of had to. Um, and I've, as I've become a little bit more mature, less naive, like I used to really believe that discover your why, discover your strengths, and then only do those things. Cool. But that also has to meet opportunity, like go start your own thing. And if you can make it great, but it's hard. And the majority of businesses fail within the first four years. Like that's just what it is. So I had a big shift early on in my time with them when I began to focus less on the ways I wanted to contribute in an ideal world, my strengths. And I just focused on what is in my sphere, what's in my realm that I can contribute to. And if I just focus on contributing to those things and make them better, well, then maybe I'll get more opportunity. Um, I, I knew a guy who was a director at uh, a technology startup turn sort of five to seven years, so they're no longer a startup. They had three to 500 people or so. They hired a, a young grad out of Waterloo whose job was to maintain the TVs. When you walked in to the office, there's like the TV, you know, welcome to the Johnston group and the temperature outside is 19 degrees and whatever. That was his job. And he went into his, uh, not just his boss, his boss's boss office, booked a meeting, went in and said, Edwin, I want a promotion. I am more strategic. I can do more. Give me a promotion or I'm leaving. And Edwin said, I have no doubt that you're strategic, but you've done nothing to show me that you are. I can't just hand out promotions. If I did that to you, I just have to give everyone a promotion because they feel like it or they think they can do more. I, I, I can't do that. And he said, what are you doing to your the very thing you own right now to be more strategic and make it better? And the guy went, oh. He came back two months later and he totally automated the entire system. So it took 35 hours per month or per week previously took four hours in a month and he totally applied his strengths to the thing he was doing and he earned a promotion now he also worked himself out of a job so he could have been let go saying there's no opportunity here for you anymore but that's a really good story in, in your next interview but he earned the promotion so i don't know i just share that because i i shifted away from the way i want to contribute to what i can contribute now and it's it's led to a lot more opportunity because I just focus on what I could do rather than what I wasn't doing and wanted to, wanted to do. Yeah, and you've been with Simon for more than seven years That's in this true. journey. Yeah. And unfortunately, we are kind of running out of time. Okay. But 
because I honestly I could speak speak to you for hours on end. I think. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, as as we kind of hit upon kind of this last leg of our interview, I I read from one of your past interviews where you said that you would an advice you'd give your younger self is to focus on improving, not proving. Mm. Does that still stand? And if that does, what what did you experience that made you want to give that advice to yourself? Yeah, that's great. Uh, you you did your research. Oh, thank you. So, um, so advice I'd want to give to my younger self and still give to myself. So, there's a there's an energetic difference when people show up to prove rather than show up to improve. When we show up to prove, we inflate ourselves, and the response is people will often knock you down to the level that you're at or even below because you're showing up arrogant or you're showing up with a puffed chest um, or you're trying to prove to people your value rather than just having them experience it. And I'm much more attracted to both others and myself when I show up to learn and get better. And I find that when you show up to improve, people tend to build you up rather than knock you down. So um, it came directly from that experience I just spoke of where in the early time I was with Simon, I wanted to be doing other things. So I was trying to prove that I was worthy and good enough to do those things. And the response was, stay in your corner, kid, versus how can I own what's mine to own, focus on improving, getting better, even if it's hard. And then people will want to bring me along for more opportunities, so long as you're with the right people um, who value you. And that was the case. Um, And the other thing I'm obsessed with is trust. Uh, So... um, So advice I would give to a younger me and anyone is young people say today, I want to have an impact in my work. The question is, what type of impact? You can't just say, I want my work to have impact. Like, duh. What type of impact? What do you care about? What do you want to create for others? And the more clear you can get about the impact you wish to create, well, then you can find people, companies, opportunities where you can advance that, clients, vendors, et cetera. So that's one is get clear on the impact you intend to make. Once you do it, then you have a filter of what to say yes to, what to say no to. Um, the other is is 100% of our successes, of course, have to do with our effort, but also has to do with people willing to take risks on you and people believing in you and taking a shot on you. Everyone, we've been successful because others have seen something in us and they invest in us or support us. Um, so I've became obsessed with creating the condition in which people wish to take a risk on me, whether that's into a new role or something new or marrying me, whatever it might be. Um, but, uh, yeah. And when I, I know I'm letting people down or, or when I know that, uh, um, uh, trust is diminishing, that's hard. And that's something I work really hard at to both understand and gain feedback so I can improve if I feel that it's, it's, you know, worthy and worthwhile. No, that's excellent. Um, is there anything else that we didn't cover today that you kind of want to leave our audience with? I know Simon's got a finite date on his invented book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that I'm the biggest proponent of is a go together. So we we have an entire section in our bookstores. If you go into a Chapters Indigo or Barnes & Noble, you will see a section in the bookstore called self-help. And it's hilarious because it doesn't work. Um, If it worked, they would stop making books 
Like the only thing the self-help industry helps is itself because it keeps growing. And it's like the biggest joke. Um, we know that we're social animals and we know that we thrive upon relationship, right? Accountability is never to a number. Accountability is always to a person, to each other. Like I can tell you tomorrow morning, 5.45 a.m. before my kids wake up, I'm going for a run. Eh, I probably won't do that. Like I will let myself down 10 times in a day. But if, if someone I care about says, great, I'll meet you on your front step, 5.43 a.m., put your, put your shoes on. I'm like, shit, now i got to do it because I won't let them down. Um, so if, if you wish to love your career, focus on helping somebody else love theirs, and they will help you love yours. Or the mere fact that you're helping somebody love something they do, you'll find joy, fulfillment, and love from that. Um, so, uh, yeah, the greatest thing to do is to help others. And in doing so you help yourself. Awesome. Awesome. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey as well as just your wealth of knowledge and experience with my listeners and myself. Thank you. It was, yeah. it was a lot of fun and I hope you can do it again sometime. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right. Cheers. Thank you. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way and included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.